This week on Another Brother. Yeah, which is extra interesting in our circumstance because we're not blood stewards. What? <laughs> Edit that. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to know, don't that. know that. that <laughs> throw- <laughs> we were literally just throwing a sledgehammer in, in Josh's backyard. <laughs> but it was so Spinning fun. Spinning like maniacs. I think that they possibly are manned by intelligent observers who are members of a race that may have been investigating our Earth for centuries. Totally solved <laughs> mystery. Uh, whoop whoop um announcement announcement another brother announcement you're already (laughs) (laughs) you're already a brother so dress like one beginning today through the (laughs) through june 27th (laughs) my throat hurts uh from now through June 27th, we have a special 20% discount on all Another Brother merch. 15%. 15%. It's basically pro bono. Yeah, 15% discount. Where do they find it? Get your merch at our website, which is anotherbrotherpodcast.com. It's really cool, guys. I designed it myself. I hope you're going to love it. has great editing skills. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be buying some discounted merch ourselves. Oh, yeah. Because the discount isn't on us. The discount is on the people running the store for us. And this is a great way to support your favorite brother. Because if you didn't know, we're color-coded because of our mom. And that's what we're talking about this week. (laughs) Yeah. Segue into another segue. Like like we're smart or something. (laughs) So, you guys know I'm training for a Spartan race. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are? Oh, Josh knew <laughs> I'm training for Spartan Race. <laughs> the two guys that work out talk about things like this. If you haven't noticed, we don't talk about sports on this podcast. <laughs> so I'm doing the big one. It's the beast. For the past four or five weeks, I've been taking one morning before work and heading up to the trails so I can get an hour run in on the trails. I just pick the steepest trail it goes straight up the mountain Mm -hmm. so it's three Mm -hmm. miles but like it's a huge butt kicker right so i did that yesterday morning on the way down i heard some ruffling off in the the brush next to me again so like this is as i'm running down the mountain what does that sound like is it like ruffle 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 (laughs) ruffle ruffle that's how i typically hear it yeah okay (laughs) um but you know it was big enough that i knew it wasn't a bird that's what you usually hear in the shrubberies Mm -hmm. it's it's birds Sure, sure So as I'm running down, I take a look back and I see pointed right at me a black tail with a white stripe. No. Pointed Whoa. straight at me. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I booked it. Like, it didn't spray me, fortunately, but like, that was kind of terrifying. Stinky. That's my first ever encounter with a skunk. So where do you think a potentially good habitat would be for skunks? Would you think Scotland? No. Uh... Maybe Georgia is it the state? Because right. I thought Scotland would be I, I don't cool. Actually... Temperate temperatures got all lots of shrub and covering. It's not. They're not native there. But we like Scotland. Oh, no. <laughs> that was how it leads to. 
<laughs> Are you kidding me? There's, it, totally, okay. it totally goes into it. All right, so Jacob told us he's got a great segue. He wanted to tell the story, and it's a great segue into our Scottish He just wanted theme. to show off that he's training for a Spartan. No, and it was the skunk, dude. No, that was to, scary. To make it worse, anyone who's familiar with terrain in northern Utah knows that there's a peak nearby called Ben Lomond Peak, which is named after the Ben Lomond in Scotland. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See? It does tie in. <laughs> I okay. told you. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. You just had to have some help. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we're Stuarts, as you know. Stuart is a common Scottish name. Turns out our heritage is actually from Scotland, which is pretty cool. We've done the family history work. I mean, it goes back, man, generations. So the first ancestor that came across was actually during the Revolutionary War, James Stewart. I've got records of him. His dad's name is James Stewart. Anyway, some cool stories there. We mm -hmm. kind of, I feel like growing up, we just kind of went with faith that we were Scottish. Like yeah. we kind of, we always, I don't know, gravitated to it and held on to it. I could but feel even, it. <laughs> well, the strange thing. Even Grandpa Stewart mm, thought we were, he was Irish. Irish. Yeah. Yeah. So grandpa's, so our grandpa Stewart's <clears throat> father had always told him that he was Irish. And in fact, to the point where dad, I don't know if he got the book from grandpa or where, mm -hmm. but we had a, a little like worn book, hard, hardbound book in the house that was the Irish coat of arm, a, a book of Irish coat of arms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was a Stuart crest in there and coat of arms in there. I loved that book. Like I would flip through the pages all I the time. Just looking. Book. Mom oh. and dad still have it. Oh, it's, do they? Yeah, it's downstairs. Sweet. You got to look at yeah, it. Yeah. Clearly. I have a lot of memories of just yeah. really just looking at all the different coat of arms in it. Well, it's that coat of arms that, you know, we always reproduce the yellow. With um, the stripe of white and blue checkers. Oh, that's actually Irish? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Schnickies. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Dad grew up hearing from Grandpa that we were Irish. But for whatever mm -hmm. reason, even prior to, like, fleshing out the genealogy, we always just kind of preferred. Scottish? <laughs> I don't know. But it ended up, uh, yeah, I don't know ended up being the accurate genealogy. Yeah. I don't know. Really? What, you, we just felt it in our bones. Well, yeah. And you hear the bags playing. Uh, it's like calling you home. Why <sighs> is that? That's so strange. And I know a lot of people have a, have a similar feeling, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's, it's almost otherworldly. Okay. Okay. Christianity alert here. Christianity alert. <laughs> I, so, I, I thought this was going to come up. I wasn't. What? This is something, this is a doctrine that I don't know oh. about in other Christian faiths. Mm -hmm. But in our church, there's a, uh, I don't want to say phenomenon, but that's a good enough word, I suppose. Influence? Uh, yeah. Influence. Uh, it's known as the spirit of Elijah. And so this does come from the Old Testament. Yeah. It's yeah. mentioned in uh, Malachi. Yes. I believe. I think so. Yeah. That uh, the hearts of the children will turn to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers will turn to the children. It's basically talking about how your genealogy is going to call to you. And uh, I mean, in our, in our church, we, we believe that people that didn't have an opportunity to be baptized while they were alive by the proper authority will have the opportunity to accept a baptism done for them by one of us that's alive today that is baptized on their behalf. That's one of the things that takes place in 
the temples that a lot of people find really confusing and mysterious about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, it's one of the things that we do in there. Well, that creates the imperative for us right. to seek out our fathers, mothers, mm-hmm. our predecessors. Find their names. So we know who they are. Do their genealogy so that you can then be baptized for them. So, yeah, in general, we, we believe that there's that inside of us that calls us to look for that lineage and that heritage. And I mean, it's it really is a global phenomenon, something. Yeah. Every, not everyone. A lot of people experience it. It's not just people who are members of our church. I mean, obviously, look at like almost any Asian culture. They keep records for hundreds, thousands of years of their family lineage and they still go and they sweep their graves. And mm-hmm. so it's practiced in a different manner, but that's that's the same thing. Like I've always felt it. Yeah. Which is extra interesting in our circumstance because we're not blood stewards. What? <laughs> Edit that. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to know, they don't that. know that. That <laughs> throws off our entire... <laughs> Uh, yeah, Grandpa Stewart was not our father's father. He's our adopted grandfather. Yeah. But I've always felt like the Scottish Stewarts have adopted us along with Grandpa Stewart. And those are the people calling for us to look for them and do their work. And we're Scottish. We're adopted Scottish. That's what I feel anyway. So... Okay, so now we know that we're just kind of Scottish, though, but like, but, <laughs> but also but how Scottish extremely American. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how Scottish American are we? So every year for, I don't even know how many years now, like, I don't know, eight years probably, I've driven all the way down to Payson, Utah. You guys have joined me on many occasion to go to the Payson Scottish Festival and Highland Games, which is so, so good. good. It's a blast. It is so and much those fun. Those have become celebrities for us. We the nicknamed some of, and, yeah, some yeah. of the athletes. We gave them their own nicknames. Yeah. I, what I've heard, always heard is that Payson, Utah was originally settled by Scottish people who came to Utah to be part of the Church of Jesus Christ. So this festival has been a long tradition, a community event in Payson that I think is what makes it so special. I want to I want to contact the organizers of the Payson event mm-hmm. and try to get money raised to get Scotch out there because they oh, uh, be they do performances outside of that would be crazy the if they travel for it that yeah. would be so rad because they are so I mean it's good I wonder if they've reached out to American games and and things like this to try to like on their own if they've if they've oh, tried yeah, coming know. over I don't know but if they they have, there'd be try. so many that they could hit in a row I'm sure yeah. Those events are so fun. They'll, they'll do like the dancing, dancing. competitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pipe band competition. They're vendors. They sell Scottish food. And there's there's clan representation there too. So you have, right. you have clan tents that are, again, aimed at mostly helping people do their genealogy. Yeah. So good. It's just a blast. If you haven't been to a, a Scottish Highland game, just do it. Go. Yeah, I mean, if you've never seen a live caber toss, the stereotypical <laughs> event, it's amazing. And if after observing it, you you think to yourself, well, that looks quite fun. <laughs> then it I is. challenge you to do what we do now, <laughs> which is hold your own backyard Highland Games. We try to do it twice, about twice a year. We do try. As a larger Stewart clan in Utah, our clan. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> uh, and we try to hold our own little Scottish Highland game in someone's backyard and... 
We'll do a weight over bar. We'll do weight for distance. We'll do a diminutive caper toss. Yeah, it's, it's pretty small. I pulled a shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> no, dislocated. I dislocated a shoulder. And I think we have decided to stop doing the hammer throw. Yeah, the, yeah, the, neighbor's, awesome. the neighbor's fence is just too close. <laughs> we were literally just throwing a sledgehammer in, in Josh's backyard. <laughs> but it was so Spinning fun. Spinning like maniacs. Everyone, yeah, everyone would get up on the deck and just kind of like get ready to put their hands in front of their face. Yeah, that's that's been... I feel more connected. Okay, so we all have our own kilts. That should go without saying at this yep. point. And yep. we clearly perform in those kilts. Yes, so there's just nothing that feels more connected to this awesome history, regardless of how contemporary the history is or how far back the history goes or how by adoption <laughs> right, into the Scottish culture we are. There's something about putting that kilt on, putting pipe and, and drum music on the speakers uh-huh. And throwing a, <laughs> a heavy thing, uh, throwing a heavy thing <laughs> that just gets you. It, it feels great. It does. It's, it's like weird to say, holistic but health. Yeah, yeah. So part of being in a Scottish clan is having a tartan, a tartan that goes along with your clan. A tartan is. It's not just a fancy word for a plaid. But uh, without getting into the technicalities of how it's designed and manufactured in cloth, it, it's a plaid. And the Royal Stuart Tartan, so the, the main tartan of our family, consists first and foremost of red. Then the next most color is green. Then blue, yellow, and white and black. Growing up, our mom stitched a little bit of colored thread into the toes of our socks <laughs> so that we could differentiate whose socks were whose. And then she even bought little baskets oh, yeah. to carry that clean laundry right. in back to our rooms that were color-coded to the same stitch in our socks. That started before we were really getting into being Scottish. It turned out that the three colors we were given were all colors in the tartan. And it so was just perfect. And, and Liz... Yeah, and Liz. Uh, I think we, Liz's was an adopted color because everybody knew <laughs> what socks The girl socks are girl socks. <laughs> and uh, much smaller. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I got green, Josh got red, Jacob got blue, and Liz gets to be yellow now. So when we talk about each other, sometimes we talk about the, the blue, Stewart's. Well, and rather than talking about like Jacob's family and their kids. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, when we're yeah, talking we'll about the say, small families within our family. Yeah. We'll just be like, hey, they're at the blue Stewart's. Right. Yeah. They're at the green Stewart's. And it just works. And again, it's same main colors in our tart. Yeah. It feels neat. <laughs> <laughs> Neato gang. <laughs> but I mean, I've personally really leaned into green as like a favorite color. And I don't know if I was going to get there anyway. I don't know if this has influenced that at all, but uh, green is my favorite color. Wow. See, mine is red. Mine is which, blue, funnily oh, enough. So Josh and I are switched. <laughs> I'm Jacob. I'm the blue Stuart. But my favorite color is red. <laughs> I'm Josh. I'm the red Stuart. But my favorite color is blue. That is funny. Hmm. What One other tie-in, again, to the whole color and Scottish theme. In a full Scottish kit, right, you've got your long hose, which are just socks. You know, the, the braided, knitted socks that you see that are really tall. That they, they, they get folded down, but under that fold, you have these... Flash. Yeah, they're called flashes. I don't know how to... Yeah. They're like little ribbons that hang out. 
so we each have our own color, right? So I have mm-hmm. blue flashes. Mm-hmm. Alex has red. Excuse me. Alex has green. Josh has red. And then there's also, oh, what's the little knife? Dirk. No. No, is that the ski and do? Ski and do. Ski and do that you slide into one of your hose and ours each have a little jewel on top. And again, our colors are coordinated to those jewels too. Yep. I think we might even have socks. Uh, Alex has green socks. Alex I have bottle green socks and a bottle green hat. Yep. Oh, yeah. My uh, beret like. I could wear my airborne beret. Oh, that's yeah. right. It's a maroon, right? It is maroon. That would be yeah. cool. But I want a cab driver. <laughs> A cab driver, <laughs> you know, like oh, country oh, cab, country cab, yeah. yeah, or a Payne Stewart golf cap. Uh, I do look at those every time I go to Payson. They just look funny on me. Yeah, I don't think I like the way they look on me either. Yeah, and I guess that's all the probably the color coding in our kits, huh? Sometimes shirts, but like, then mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then you have different tartans too. So the Stuart right. clan especially has almost a different official tartan for each different function. <laughs> yeah. So we... You, you want to go hunting? There's a hunting Yeah, there's tartan. a hunting tartan. <laughs> In fact, my my athletic kilt uh-huh. that I wear is the Stuart black tartan. Oh, yeah. But it's still a f- official Stuart clan tartan. Yeah, I've got a regular kilt in dress black mm-hmm. but there's white dress there's blue dress there's black dress there's racing we have a racing tartan oh, if you wow. didn't know it's Chico, pretty insane what are you oh, doing? that's cool that's why you'd be running in races it's, it's predominantly blue too what? yeah um even, <laughs> that'd be funny when even Al- just socks in it that'd be mm-hmm. cool when alex and laura got married it was a scottish regalia yep, yeah we did a tartan wedding it looked, and it good. looked good all the kids so and good. their kilts and everything yeah cute yeah, her family dressed up in kilts and everything too. They were yeah. game. It was fun. So yeah, like we when we go to like the games, not our own backyard games, but when we go to a, a Scottish festival, like you better believe we're we're there in our kilts, mm-hmm. you know, with our hose and our that. bros. <laughs> we got our bros and our hose, and we just uh... <laughs> dang it. But if for some reason you ever have a favorite one of us, if you're able to tell the difference between us and get a favorite one. Team Blue. We've got our merch available in, well, unfortunately, the service that we're using didn't have every item in every color of the three of us. But wherever possible, you can get it in black, white, green, red, or blue. Boom. Yeah, so I'm about to add a lot more red to my wardrobe, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know why I'm not red, though? It's because of BYU and Dad's I know utter hatred I... of, of the University okay. of Utah. But, you know, Dad's... Red is basically a swear color. <laughs> red is his favorite color, too, though. I know, yeah. It's, and yeah. it's weird. I've, I've fought weird. that myself, but I can't deny it just red's my favorite color. Huh. Blue's number two, but red is... It's I think it's because I'm a strong color. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the flash. The flash. Well, <laughs> that's <laughs> it's it. Not, it just, red looks fast. Sense. It's not just the flash. It's true. It's also Ferrari. And it's a it's a power color. You better believe. Like I put my red tie on when you I've got like an interview or Republican. something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or when you're teaching missionaries, you didn't do the red power tie on the mission. Oh, especially like when, I'm, when I'm like instructing stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. for zone conference zone trainings. Conference. Yeah. Yeah. But again, let me clarify by blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't do that. Red's great. Actually, you know what? 
Let's just move merch. You buy what you want to buy. <laughs> buy all three. Support Lizzie. Get the yellow. Ah, Stoners! Are you curious about the world around you? Do you question why mysterious things happen? Join us, and perhaps you will be surprised by this totally solved mystery. Once upon a wartime dreary, when skies were bathed in sorrow weary, over fields of blood and fear, I saw a sight that chilled my core. Whispers midst the pilot's chatter spoke of specters, their heart a flutter. Ghastly fiends with radiant light, known as Foo Fighters, the lore did bore. Those who witnessed felt the terror in the skies forevermore. In the depths of World War's plight, where men sought solace throughout the night, there existed a squadron bold, the 415th Night Fighter Corps. Their valiant souls with spirits high took flight beneath the somber sky, unaware of what would soon unfold their fates to be forevermore. Foo Fighters lurking, lurking there to plague their minds forevermore. As night fell, a shroud of gloom, darkness thick as a wretched tomb, the black widows took to air with men of courage at their core. But lo, from the abyss there came ethereal lights that danced in flame. Foo fighters, wraiths from realms unknown, unleashed their eerie encore, glowing orbs with spectral grace tormented souls forevermore. In the heavens they did abound, bewildering all who dared surround. Aviators looked in gaze as orbs mimicked their swift rapport. They mocked their moves with eerie might. Their presence caused a dreadful fright. Malevolence in their glow, a haunting sight forevermore. Those who faced them felt the dread, their minds enthralled forevermore. Futile was the squadron's fight, for bullets passed through orbs of light. Foo fighters untouched, undaunted, defied the laws of our mortal lore. Their nature enigmatic, arcane, their purpose one they did retain, to vex and haunt brave men aloft, a mystery forevermore. Aerial foes not of this realm, forever enigmatic, forevermore. Returned from missions fraught with woe, the squadron's pilots were changed, you know. Their minds plagued by nightly terrors, haunted by the orbs they saw. Conspiracy whispered in hushed tones of otherworldly origins unknown. Foo fighters, harbingers of doom, their presence felt forevermore. In dreams they lingered ominous, a mark imprinted forevermore. Oh, my pen could scarce convey the chilling tale of that wartime day when Foo fighters plagued the sky, their spectral glow forevermore. In the annals of history's tome, the 415th Squadron's doom shall be remembered as a haunting chapter, a tale to chill forevermore. 
Foo Fighters in their eerie plight, a spectral dance forevermore. Okay. I love the band, the Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah. Love that band. And I've known for a long time that their name comes from World War II. But that is all I know about it. No Jacob. one has ever said anything more about it in what I've read. No, that that's all I know, too. Foo Fighters were unidentified flying objects in World War II that harassed the 415th Night Fighter Squadron as they flew night operations over Germany's German skies. So, so this is our squadron. This is well, a joint. This is a U.S. This is a joint allies. U.S.-U.K. squadron. Okay. Yeah. Back in the days of World War II, the 415th Night Squadron, they flew night raids, obviously. And their intent was to harass and bomb and provide cover for bombing runs. And pretty early on, a cockpit crew had identified orbs flying off in the distance or actually static in the distance. And static. Static in of the what distance. Kind? No, 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 uh, stationary. Oh, okay. The, I got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. They weren't flying in the distance. They no, were no, static. Static. In the got it. Yep. Oh. Um, yeah, and okay. with no radar returns, no no radar signatures, just a orangish, reddish glow. And then these orbs would then accelerate and leave. And after this first encounter, there were more that were recorded where these orbs, anywhere from one to 10 in in um uh, like a <laughs> formation formation yeah. there we yeah. go yeah anywhere from a single orb to 10 in a formation would appear and they would follow the fighters of the 415 night fighter squadron and they would mimic their movements and they would accelerate past them and they exhibited movement and the ability to maneuver in excess of that of the fighters and these men gave interviews long after just of absolute bewilderment. But all of the interviews they gave for newspapers, for radio shows, and then ultimately later for video, they were very professional about it. The very fact of the matter, you know, um, as most World War II vets are of their experience, no matter mm-hmm. where, how they served, mm-hmm. um, they just acknowledged these uh, flying orbs. And to the point where they would contact, and radar at the time was pretty, still kind of a primitive technology. Yeah. Um, but even in contact with ground control stations and radar operators um, and onboard radar, they couldn't, there was no radar return of what these things were. Mm-hmm. But we seem to have finally solved what these were. What? I hope food well, fighters are listening. <laughs> this is for you, Dave, girl. <laughs> yeah, Dave. So were they able to get any more visual than it just being a, a glowing orb or is that literally all that they could see? I, I'd imagine it's the middle of the night, bright, shiny object. All they're going to see is the light. They're not going to see any kind of like control surfaces or wings yeah. or anything. Well, if their bullets went right through it, maybe that's all it was. Well, I that know. was for, that was for effect. I, okay. I don't, I don't <laughs> think these guys actually shot at anybody. All right. Um, yeah, no. So just, just, uh, light. Yeah. Just okay. like orbs of light. Um, and some people have have thought that perhaps it was like cockpit glint, sure. like glare mm-hmm. off of cockpits. Mm-hmm. But are you telling me these guys who are in a they're a well honed machine now and they know where their position is within the greater an entire formation. squadron of these guys? Yeah, they're not going to know that there should be other planes over there. Yeah, and not to mention the way they they flew and was unlike the way our pilots flew. 
other people have thought maybe it was like electric. What do you call it? Uh, like ball lightning. Ball lightning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The- electric statics. You know, discharge. But a red orange. That's not the yeah. right color. And this is clearly being controlled in an, an intelligent manner, not just mm-hmm. right following and harassing them. So, believe me, if you will, <laughs> <laughs> there has been reporting, thanks in large part to an Italian author. Whoop. Yeah. Named Renato. Is that an Italian name? Yeah. Yeah. Renato something. You can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. That here. is his last name. Something. Wow. That's, yeah. that's not going to be hard to look up at all. No. There's not no. a million of those guys. That's right. And and this is the level of reporting you can come to expect from <laughs> Totally Solved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he uncovered Nazi UFO construction projects. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's like a number of these UFO attempts to include different models called like the Vril, V-R-I-L, Vril saucers and yes. Haunabu saucers. And to the point where there's multiple corroborated uh, sources who recorded German engineers discussing the Nazi Germany flying saucer engineering project. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that that was something that they had been working on and were trying to develop. Yes. So, so the first actual reference to Nazi UFOs was written down by an Italian turbine engineer named Hmm. Giuseppe Beluso. And he records speaking with some German engineers who were also creating turbine. So they would make, they allegedly created a flying disc that was just a turbine, like a large surface planar turbine that would give it vertical lift. <laughs> hmm. 15 meters in diameter. And that was... Holy Wow. Crap. Yes. And this German engineer gave an interview to Der Spiegel in Germany, the newspaper, mm-hmm. um, talking about it. And look, you can kind of see, here's the... This was a contemporary Italian newspaper article. You see the guy kind of wrote out a schematic of... I don't know Italian. Alex, you might have to... <laughs> We'll see how technical the language is. But yeah, so there's accounts that these things were, um, that Germany, Nazi Germany was actively trying to create UFOs. UFOs. Oh. Flying saucers. Flying saucers. Oh. This says that it was also worked on by Italians in Italy. Oh. Oh, Mussolini. Not just That's right. They were part of the, they were part of the axis. That makes sense because there's like multiple Italians that are cited as also citing their German counterparts. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And again, I mean... Flying discs. With it being nighttime, if they have a single bright light source on one of those things, that's all you're going to see. Yeah. Probably. Well, I don't know. I don't know either, but but to add some some weight to this, totally solved (laughs) theory. (laughs) Totally. Apparently, there's a declassified reports in the CIA, CIA archive mm. that you can find online that discusses these Nazi flying saucer discs and uh, stating that these that the Nazi flying saucers could reach an altitude of 12,400 meters within three minutes. What? what? And a speed of 2,200 kilometers per hour. Okay. This is according to oh. a German. 12,000 meters. That's over. Basically 12,000 yards. Thirty-six. Yes, it's over thirty-six six thousand like feet. Forty thousand feet. That's that's like an airliner. 
in, in three, three minutes. Just and okay, and then a speed of twenty two hundred kilometers per hour. And then this German named um, Georg Klein, he says that the Germans' plans were to get these speeds up to 4,000 kilometers per hour. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, so that sounds like it's a, a speed of about 222 miles per hour straight up. Okay. To ascend that quickly. Yeah. It would be a constant speed of 222 miles per hour straight up. Wow. To get to 40,000 feet in three minutes. Wow. Which is in excess of 2,200 kilometers per hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wait, 2,200 kilometers per yeah. hour? Yeah. Wait, 220 or 2,200? 2,200 kilometers per hour. So, oh, that's so fast. Top, they say their top speed is in was, excess? Was 2,200 with plans to reach 4,000 kilometers per I hour. I thought you said top speed was 220. No. 2,200 is... And what kind of G-force would that exhibit? But if you consider the accounts of the the men reporting the Foo Fighters of, you know, a light source just hovering and then zipping off, zipping off. I'm sorry. I can't believe that. Yeah. Right. How, how fast is that? A thou- 1300. It's, it's Mach 1.3 or 4. Oh. You're breaking the speed, the sound barrier with just a typical turbine I'm sorry. engine. I'm sorry. Let me, let me say that again. It's almost Mach 2. Get out. Well, that's incredible, guys. <laughs> I am so glad we... I can't believe you've cracked the story, I know. Josh. I mean, it, you look up Foo Fighters, people are like scratching their head. <laughs> Dave Grohl? <laughs> Fools. And I'll just leave on this note. Oh, we're leaving Wait, this hang already? On, hang on, hang on. Okay, hang on. Oh, hold on. I mean, this, this uh, totally solved mystery cannot uh, hold up to much scrutiny. But, um, but okay, I, just, I have a clarifying question. So... As part of Operation Paperclip, I think. Yep. Yep. Is that a Microsoft project? No, that was Sorry. that's clippy. terrible joke. That's yeah. when we brought Nazi scientists into America to help us after the war. Okay. A lot of those folks established NASA and really got us to the moon. Right. I've seen footage of us. Yes. Having flying saucer-like craft from, I believe, these ex-Nazi. Scientists. And they weren't great. Are these different than that? Because these us? were never great. Was it us or the Canadians? Well, um, the shows I've always seen have always said it was us and not yeah, the Canadians. Because interestingly, a number of these German rocket and aeronaut guys mm-hmm. went to work for the Canadians. And there's a Canadian company called like Acro mm-hmm. Canada or something mm-hmm. that allegedly was able to create similar objects. Mm-hmm. But here's the th- here's the critical thing to remember when we're considering, <laughs> you know, okay, travel back with me in time to the end of World War II. Soviet are already our enemies. They're our frenemies throughout all of World War II. Yeah. <laughs> now they're our enemies. They're snatching up Nazi engineers and scientists. Left and right. We're snatching up through paperclip. And we're already planning, you know, we've got atomic energy and weapons now. They're developing theirs. And we're in this, like, race for technology at this point. And every single, and this is my theory against why we haven't revealed our alien technologies yet. (laughs) I'll solve that mystery for you guys tonight (laughs) right now. But basically, there's a national security imperative to keep the real capabilities and science behind these Nazi Germany UFOs 
secret because we don't want to play our hand. We don't want the other guy to know how successful we are. We're going to throw up these flimsy little, Mm. you know, things. When in reality, the Nazis are already to quote, and this ties into my other, my other thing, Hermann Obert, the father of German rocketry to to quote in English translation. Mm -hmm. He says, it is my thesis that flying saucers are real and that they are spaceships from another solar system. I think that they possibly are manned by intelligent observers who are members of a race that may have been investigating our Earth for centuries. Totally solved (laughs) mystery. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Dang it, that's what I was going to do. Oh, shoot. Do it. You're going to do it better. Thank you for being our brother. Wow, did that we might just be too that? energetic, though. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll take another run at it then. Okay, for, for being, being our brother. brother. <laughs> that, the first one was too energetic. <laughs> gotcha. For show notes, rock and merch, and other brother goodness, check out our website at anotherbrotherpodcast.com. Be sure to come back next week. And tell your friends so they too can become a brother over there, brother over there.